Welcome to StoryWise. This is the podcast designed to give you the in-depth story behind some of our top storytellers as a way to inform, inspire, and motivate you to make your dreams a reality. My name is Jen Grisanti. I am the Story Career Consultant at Jen Grisanti Consultancy, Inc., a writer's consultancy committed to guiding your vision through one-on-one consult. I am very excited to have as my guest today, excited and honored and inspired and everything else um, by his work, uh, one of the writers of the hit film Zombieland, Rhett Reese, um, whose writing partner is Paul Warnick. Yes, correct. And uh, and boy, you guys. The kiddos kept him at, at home tonight, but he, he uh, yeah, and they always keep him a little grounded, more grounded than me. He perhaps. has kids. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and, that's uh, wonderful. But I, I've made it. I'm here. I am so, so happy to have you here, and I'm so happy to hear your journey because – the last couple years have been, I mean, really starting with, I mean, yes, Zombieland is is the breaking out, but it did start with the um, the Joe Schmo series. Yeah, I mean, it, it you... it's funny when when Zombieland came out. Yeah, we, uh, there have been various articles that that mention things like, well, these writers came out of nowhere and right. you know, these overnight successes, and and clearly we've been at it a while. Uh, I started as a feature screenwriter um, in the 90s, and I was I was writing mostly family films. I mean, I didn't start writing family films, but the very first of my screenplays, I think it was my sixth screenplay that got noticed, was a family film. And uh, I started to be able to get work in the family genre, so I wrote a lot of children's things. And then um, on assignment, all of them. And then ultimately, uh, a buddy of mine from high school, Paul, right. uh, was working in reality television. And one night we were watching a show that he was working on, Big Brother 2, one of my favorites. I love uh, Big Brother <laughs> it's, it's a very guilty pleasure for me. Uh, anyway, we were watching it, and he said, you know, we had to come up with an idea for a reality show sometime. And I had come from the scripted world, and he had come from the unscripted world. And so... We tried to figure out a way we could combine our two skill sets, and that became the Joe Schmo Show, which is a hybrid scripted reality show uh, that that um, that really called on both of our of our uh, abilities, and and we ended up selling it and making a couple seasons of it, and that led to other things, and we made some TV for a while, and then ultimately uh, decided to get into fully scripted things. I convinced him to come over to the dark side with me. And we wrote Zombieland as a spec television pilot, actually. I saw that. CBS bought it as a spec pilot. Which is, uh, it's taken a a rare, if not completely unprecedented journey to becoming a film in that it was a failed TV pilot. You know, CBS didn't, uh, decided not to make it. And uh, so it sat there. And thankfully, we had a, a really passionate executive over at Sony Television, Chris Parnell, and a very passionate producer in Gavin Pallone. Who just wouldn't let it die, and they they convinced Sony Television to pay us to expand it into a backdoor pilot or a made-for-TV movie, essentially. Uh, so it became a hundred-page uh, script as opposed to a sixty-page script. And at that point, Gavin got a hold of the script, and he called us and he said, "Guys, this is too expensive to do as a made-for-TV movie, and it's also too good. So would you mind if I brought it over to Sony Pictures and and asked them if they would be willing to consider it as a feature?" And we said, awesome, yeah. And so he just just took it over there with a head of steam and convinced Matt Tolmack that this was this was going to be a hit. And uh, and Matt believed in him and us. And next thing you know, you know, about a year and a half later, it, it came out in theaters. So it's it that is unbelievable. Yeah, and, and, and a very rare. I mean, I, I don't think I've ever heard that particular story. Route, uh, a, yeah, that a real TV to, pilot. Yeah. You know, becoming a movie is quite odd uh and uh, it's a blessing in disguise is i when i think of the identity of cbs in this project it's not a match i don't No. yes 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 had you been consulting for me at the time you would have said (laughs) i don't think cbs would be a right fit for this and in fact we we were so thrilled to sell it to cbs we never stopped and thought if they were the right destination for it uh, and ultimately, I think it probably was a little too out there for their audience, and I think the executives finally realized that. And but they were very gracious; they let it go. They let us go shop it elsewhere, 
And that is uh, gracious. And, and that's that rare. That and that's rare. Yeah. So I certainly, I, I, we owe the existence of Zombieland to CBS in that sense. They really could have just buried it and sat on it, and instead they, they let us, uh, let oh, us breathe free. Oh, that's a story I love hearing. That's <laughs> yeah. a very positive story. Absolutely. I have to tell you, it it is a a very wild thing. When I went to see your movie, I typically, and I'm going to be totally honest, horror film is definitely not. <laughs> really what I go out to see. I understand. You know, and I'm I'm sitting in the theater in the first 20 minutes of all the blood and the gore, and it is a very interesting thing because I'm like, okay, spiritually, this is kind of going against my, right. my energy. Right. And then it became a film that was about so much heart and so much universal theme of, Fitting in and family Absolutely, and belonging, yeah. and I was I was so impressed. I really well, was. Thank you, yeah. thank you so much. Yeah, we always wanted us to, to to set out to tell a movie about people and not zombies, and uh, zombies were a nice backdrop and uh, provided us with some of the the fun, creative action that gets young men into theaters. But really, we wanted to tell a story about a dysfunctional family and about a guy who um, was very much based on me, sadly, uh, who is really beset by anxiety and panic attacks, as I was in my early 20s. And it just, it it had occurred to me, well, you know, wouldn't that type of person, someone who's run from the world or is or is uh, overly careful and cautious all the time. Wouldn't that type of person be the kind of person who might survive in a world, you know, overrun by zombies because of the, he's always thinking uh, two steps ahead all the time? And and that was really the, the germ of the idea that uh, that became Zombieland. Well, and I think you know that that's a perfect example. Definitely something I teach um, in my seminars is the idea of your story is your gold. Absolutely, access to your own story. And then putting it, fictionalizing it, really is your key to success as a writer. So that's a, a perfect example of that. Absolutely. I mean, we, I, we did not struggle to find the voice of that character because that voice very much had lived inside my head back in my 20s. And and so uh, that just it makes it all it the easier. Great. I mean, it's, it's really, in some sense, uh, uh, deja vu. I, I had an old roommate uh, go see the movie, and he called me up and he said, "My God, it was like I was watching you in our apartment, you know, because I used to hold myself up playing video games in the back room, you know." And and he just said, "It's it was uh, nostalgic in a way to watch it because it reminded me so much of you, which I thought was kind of cool." I love that. And now, tell me what it was like to be a part of the audience and see your words come to life in your story. Oh, that's phenomenal. Life. It's phenomenal yeah. to sit there. We we first saw it with a real big audience down in Orange County at a focus group and there were about 500 people. And you know, we didn't know what to expect. You don't you don't know are they going to laugh at the right parts? Are they going to, you know, be moved at the right parts? Are they going to walk up and and leave, you know, walk out and leave? Um and it just blew the roof off. Like the place just clapped and cheered and laughed. And it was, I just had goosebumps for, you know, an hour and a half straight. It was such a great moment for me. Probably the, the, the greatest moment of my career. It's just such a fun moment. And and you, we had a lot of fears. You know, there there are certain things in the movie that you just don't know how an audience is going to react. Like we, and I, I'll, I'll go ahead and give a spoiler alert. So if you haven't seen the movie, you know, don't listen from this point forward. But, you know, we kill Bill Murray. And, and we we're worried that people would turn on us, that they would be sad, that, that, that we would have to somehow uh, uh, recapture the, the goodwill and the mood after we killed him. And, and, we were, and then we followed that with a, with a scene where Woody Harrelson talks about his dead son. And that also is a real you know, buzzkill you know, on the right, page. Right. And, and we thought, oh, we're really going to have to work hard to build the mood back up and get people laughing again. And it, quite the contrary, we sat in that audience and listened to it for the first time in that huge, uh, that huge audience, and and they thought the Bill Murray thing was the funniest thing in the movie, and they didn't need to be picked back up. And I then, totally and, agree. And, and then and then Woody, you know, tells the story about his son, and everyone goes very silent and somber, and I think people are being moved. 
But then two seconds later, he, he, there's a laugh line where he says, I haven't cried that hard since Titanic. And then he wipes his eyes with real uh, $100 bills. They're playing Monopoly, but he uses real $100 bills. And everyone laughs at that first line and then at the $100 bill thing. And then they're right back into their happy mood again. And, and you know, you never would have guessed or you just weren't sure until you sat there with that audience and listened to them. And, and that was very gratifying. Isn't that fascinating, though, when you think about the buildup emotionally of a scene and hitting beats at the right time as far as humor and drama? And and I don't think you I don't think anyone ever does. No, you don't really know, especially with comedy, you know, and especially in this case with horror comedy where you've got horror, you've got drama and you've got comedy. And sometimes those things can can work against each other. You know, And, and so it was a. A little bit of a tightrope act, and, and until you sit with that, that that crowd, you don't know. Now, what have the reviews been like? The reviews have been very favorable, Good. you know, which was really nice. We, I think we, what you're eighty nine percent on Rotten yes, Tomatoes. Yes, eighty nine, eighty nine. Very good. Very good. We that love was that. Very, yeah for a zombie yes. movie. We thought that was nice. Number uh, yeah, one movie been... in America in October of two thousand nine. Very good stuff. Yes, thank you so much. Yes, <laughs> that's huge. Yeah, that was a great moment too, um, and we, I think we might have Martin Scorsese to thank for that for or for moving his movie until February. It was supposed to be right opposite our movie and or wow. right or right in front of our movie actually, and that scared us. But then he moved away, and we moved a week forward to to take its that movie's place, Shutter Island's place, and that gave us, I think, the window to be number one, which was really really fun. Timing just to be able is to say everything. That. Yes, exactly. Very lucky. And how did that affect the release, uh, the later release of his film? Did it? You know, I don't know. Well, his film comes out in, I oh, think, February. Yeah, it has okay. not come out yet. Oh, I so. thought you said it was moved back a month. No, okay. it was it moved back, I guess, maybe three months, something okay. like that, maybe four. So it's still to come. So uh, I, I'm sure it'll be fine. I, almost I don't know why. I feel like it, it's a good thing. I almost feel like you, you it actually helped that. Yeah. You know, both of you. Probably I mean, both. Not to be, be not to be, yeah, banging on each other like yeah. that. I mean, a, a lot of uh a lot of a film's success is completely out of your hands, and it's mm-hmm. in the hands of uh, America. It's in the hands of uh, distribution. It's in the hands of marketing. And so you just cross your fingers at that point and hope. I I think that is wonderful. Tell me about um, all the interviews and the PR and the – like what I find that fun. It's right. just been, you know, you you get so little attention as a writer. Generally, you're slaving away inside an apartment. It's just it's fun to get attention every yeah. now and then. Yeah, so I've enjoyed it. I and like it's it's that. I, I never consider it a burden. I always find it fun. It's a gift. Yeah, it and, is. Yes, and it's, the gratitude. Now I'm looking at everything you have going on. It is a fascinating thing because I think it's a a very psychological phenomena that we sit there and go oh these are brand new writers yeah 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 and then i look at your your bio and i'm like okay pilots to cbs and fox and you now you recently sold a feature pitch earth versus the moon yes earth versus moon to universal yeah it's a big science fiction epic uh scott stuber is producing and uh we have high hopes for it it's it's just a Big slam bang sci-fi epic, you know, just the kind of thing I would have loved at 11 years old, uh, and and it's about a war between Earth and a colony on the Moon about 300 years in the future, and we we are about to write a second draft, so that's it's in process, and the hope is that we can get it to a, a place where Universal feels comfortable making it. It's a very expensive movie, so it will be high risk, high reward, but we really feel like it's very gettable. Earth versus Moon, big poster, you know, it's it's not hard to. Uh, to to imagine that uh, that high concept movie so so budget definitely I'm glad you brought that up budget definitely comes hugely into play with Zombieland what was the budget now twenty three point six million actually it was made very cheaply yeah and and uh, and that was a function of our our you know very wise producer Gavin Pallone we shot in Georgia where we got a nice tax rebate and uh, there I mean for all the action in it and there is a lot of action there are also a lot of long stretches where it's just actors talking in in you know in cars and it's Yeah, so, I wouldn't even have guessed that it was that high And we of a shot budget. oh yeah, we That's shot great. all the car stuff, you know, on sound stages, almost yeah. all of it on sound stages, which is incredible that they can do that now. Um and uh And now you, you know, guys it, have made 3 times that is that Yeah, correct? we've or made more? 75 so far domestically and and about 85 dom- uh, worldwide and we're hoping to get over 100 worldwide, so that would be cool. Uh And then what about video? Uh you know, I don't 
I, I'm not a real, yeah. I'm not a business guy, so yeah. I don't really know. We're hoping for strong DVD sales. I know the DVD markets are are, are down, but we're hoping for good sales. And now, no, I think I think the DVDs are going to be way up. I, I do. hope. I, I hope. do. Um, now I'm interested, and I I definitely like the audience to have information. As a writer, do you get a piece of any of that at first? Well, what we what get is, is residuals through the Writers Guild. Okay. And so DVD sales, uh, we do benefit from those. Uh, for every DVD that's sold, we get some small chunk, and it adds up over time. So that's real money. Now, contractually, I think we also have a percentage of the profits, but but very rarely do you end up seeing money off right. that, unless it's a percentage of gross. You know, you generally... The studios, uh, their accounting is creative enough that they try to keep that money out of your hands, and I think no one really expects it, even though it's in the contract. Ah, very interesting. So would you say, when you think about, say, the money that you've made in TV versus the money you've made in features, Mm -hmm. was it a surprise? Was it what you expected? Well, I mean, I think either one can be very lucrative, depending. I mean, it's always... It's really about getting stuff made. You know, in television, you make your money when you get into episodes and you start cranking episodes. That's where you start to make your money. And there's you can make you can make decent money in, in with pilots, but not not really enough to get rich, certainly. And and then features, you know, it's just the 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 bonus for for getting a movie produced and and the credit and then the residuals. It's again, it's about getting a movie made. It can really really uh, amplify the the money that that you can make. Um, but, uh, you know, it's like the Larry Davids that if you can get a show, that's a big hit and have it go into syndication, you can be super rich in yeah. television and, and in features you can get very rich, but not probably quite as rich as if, if, if you really, really hit it big as a writer in television. Ah, I like that. Okay. That's good. I mean, when, well, and I think looking at television right now too, I mean, the quality of television it's, it's is wonderful. so strong right yeah, now. Yeah, very strong. Uh, I mean, the writing on Breaking Bad and Mad Men and True Blood and Big Love and, you know, so many great going shows. on and on uh, in, in some of even the old favorites and The Mentalist is doing well. Yeah, I, I look, I think it's a, it's a real, uh, just a renaissance in television. Yeah. Just so many great shows. and. And comedy suffered a little bit uh, just because there aren't as many on. And reality, Modern Family, yeah, yeah, and that's that's great. I've seen it one time, and I really loved it. I have a friend who's uh, or or acquaintance slash friend. I don't know him too well, but who's directing a lot of those episodes. So it's real fun to watch that. um, I, uh, yeah, I feel like um, the the best writers are are in TV. I hate to say that, Mm -hmm. but it's like it's or at least the bulk of them. I think there are more better writers in television. I, I. I, uh, I well, think... they have the luxury of learning from the medium. Yes, and absolutely. They're writing on every absolutely. week and seeing what works and, and what working with work. other writers yeah. and 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 you know very closely with showrunners who have a great deal of experience and that helps too. So, what do you think of like your experience of TV versus your experience of film? I know there's a love for both, and obviously. When you're on the path that you're on, I mean, my God, you guys are writing drafts of the Spider-Man spinoff. Like, <laughs> yes. Oh my God! So this is yeah, amazing. I mean, well, it, it is. Here, here's what I wish I'd known earlier in my right. career, which is that the, the two jobs are very, very different. Uh, television is a very social job. It's a very deadline-driven job. You go into an office. You you have to work with other people very closely. Uh, the hours are long. Um, and it affords, at the end of the day, a great deal of creative control if you rise to the top and become a showrunner. And you don't necessarily even have to rise through the system to become a showrunner. You know, Paul and I were showrunners on the Joe Schmo show in Invasion Iowa without any real showrunning experience before that and without any real staff writing before that. So you don't necessarily have to work your way up through the system. But if you do reach the pinnacle in television as a writer, you are the boss. So you make all the decisions uh, from you know, casting to uh, obviously there's a network involved too, but but you know from casting to you know music to the graphics to you know, just everything you're in charge of everything. Uh, features are very very different. Features it's a very solitary lifestyle. Uh, you tend to work at home. You know you tend not to be around people that often except in meetings. Uh, it, the deadlines aren't that strict or fierce. You know you can you can do whatever you want as long as you turn the script in by the delivery date, which oftentimes is many months in the future. Uh, so it's it's a lazy lifestyle, a real flexible lifestyle. 
Um, but there is a glass ceiling on your creative control that doesn't exist in television because the directors are always the bosses at the end of the day in features. It's just different. In, in, in television, writers are the bosses and directors can be hired and fired. And in features, it's the opposite. The director is the boss and it's the writer who, can, who, who gets hired and fired. And uh, consequently, there's a little bit of a glass ceiling on, uh, on writers in features. I mean, Michael Crichton once said that aspiring to be a feature screenwriter is like aspiring to be a co-pilot. You know, you, you, ne- you never are completely in control. So that's just different. And, mm-hmm. and that's what I wish someone had told me earlier in my career, just so I would have known, just so I would have been prepared. Now I know, and, and I think there are things to recommend about both. I mean, we... we uh, Worked with a wonderful director on Zombieland, um, who was uh, who was just, the director? Ruben now? Fleischer is his okay. name, and he was very uh, he's he's extraordinarily talented and also very inclusive, very inclusive. So had us out on the set every day, and we got to oh, enjoy that. you know and enjoy the process as writers more than the average feature writers would probably, um, and so that was terrific. Uh, we have also done TV where you know we were. Uh, more in charge, and we adored that. So, I don't know. They're just very different, and I I wish someone had been there to tell me the differences back when I was starting. Because at the time, I just went where uh, where the ideas took me, and where uh, I felt I was just most enamored by, which was features at the time. And and I almost wish that I'd started in television, and so I could have been around other writers and 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 learned from other writers and and uh, and been in a little earlier did than I ended up. Did you staff at all on TV or Never. did you just sell Still pilots? have it. Oh, Still have it. Very yeah. interesting. Well, I think your choices now are definitely in an entirely <laughs> yeah. I, different Well, place. maybe, so maybe. It, it is. You know, I think it all is a value. I think, obviously, learning, um, whether it's the feature side, whether it's the TV side, whether it's the internet side in the future of mm-hmm. how do we tell story on the internet in seven minute increments yes. and and emotionally affect people. I, there's value in all of it. There's value yeah. in all of it, and it's everything's just a little different. And I, and I will say, there's nothing quite like sitting in a theater full of 500 people and hearing them go crazy. Like that feature experience is really to die for when it when See, it comes and out. And when well. you took us into that moment, I mean, I got goosebumps. I think that is. Amazing, and you never get that in TV. Yeah. You never get to sit in people's living rooms with them and watch it with them. You know, yeah. so you never get that immediate, uh, uh, just just energy. You know, yeah, no, so. no. I think that's great. And now, do you think so? You'll go the feature road for a while, and then TV. I would imagine is definitely still still something we'd yeah. love to do. We'd love to run a show, and I, I doubt we'll staff, you know, right. probably, unless it's a show we just adore and we right. can come in a little higher than, you know, lo- lower on the totem pole. But we would very much love to run a show still, and, and yet now features really are beckoning because we, we have doors open to us now that weren't open in the past. So so we'll probably pursue this feature thing for a little bit. Yeah, here. and I think, you know, it's interesting when I look at Kurtzman and Orsi yes. and their path, and now, you know, you go – I mean, Star Trek. Is well, like, and, and now they have the freedom yeah. to do whatever they want, yeah. which is where you want to be. You want to be in a place where you're free to dabble in both sides, and, and they're doing that, and uh, you know, more power to them. I think that's awesome. Now, what about uh, branding-wise? Branding-wise, looking at you with Zombieland and the horror film and then your background – in the animation world, it's we, kind of I, I like that you're yes, kind of we're we're we're, we're absolutely of... very consciously trying to take half steps away from the previous project. So uh-huh. we do a horror comedy. We've done you know a sci-fi movie. Uh, we've we've had pilots on television that are just straight comedy that are dramas. We've uh, I used to work in family films. You know, Paul worked in reality TV. We've done we ourselves as a team have done reality TV. So we're trying to not get pigeonholed because what I tell young writers is be careful what you write early on because your first success Hollywood will want you to keep doing that kind of thing for the next five to ten years and and so you don't want to write something too mercenarily that's in a in an arena that you wouldn't you couldn't see yourself writing for the next five or ten years because Hollywood will they will categorize you in a hurry and then they will start throwing money at you to do that one thing and you'll wake up five or ten years later and you'll have only done that one thing which is what happened to me I my first script to sell was a family movie and I woke up five years later and all I'd written was family movies 
movies because that's what they were willing to pay me to do. And I had I, I had to, to meet Paul, basically, and have him say, what about a reality show, to, to, to jolt me out of that and, and to remind me that there's other, other things in the world to write other than family films. So. But isn't it fascinating because your family experience of story actually got integrated it did it, it into, did into Zombieland in some yeah. ways yeah and what now let me ask you the the whole blood and gore mm. how did you feel about that i thought it was a little more violent than i probably would like that we we uh, we had a, a a long conversation uh with the studio about whether this could be a PG-13 movie. And ultimately, I think the the fear was that if we made it too soft, we might alienate the horror crowd. And we really wanted to bring the horror crowd because they're very loyal and they they you know they pay to see movies in the theater. And I, I think there was just a little bit of a fear and, and that, you know, the movie like Drag Me to Hell, which was PG-13, that didn't do quite as well as they'd hoped, that maybe the PG-13 label sends the message to the horror fans that it's not, it doesn't have cred or it's not, you know, that it's not as, as, as edgy or as tough as it could be. So they decided to go R and that meant more gore. And, you know, I'm fine with that. I do think that, you know, women and older people sometimes get put off in the first 10 minutes of the movie. And interestingly, if you can make it through that first 10 minutes, it's not that gory after that. And a few moments here and there, but but most of the gore, the worst stuff, takes place right away. It's almost like this shock to the system. And if you can hang in and not leave the theater, then, yep. you, then you're rewarded with and a sweet, did, a sweet little, you, you know, yeah, it. it feels a little bit more like Little Miss Sunshine from yeah. that point oh, forward. You know what I mean? It's, so it's, right. it's got that sweet, soft, silly And the you know, idea that the side. tone, I mean... For me, like when I think of the tone in the mansion when with Bill Murray, I mean that was just like it just came so alive and so and it was fascinating to see how the tone the shift worked. You know, I I, I think that was great. No, I'm 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 my my hat's off to you. My it was, hats it, was off a, to you. it was lucky in some ways because it 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 might not have worked. <laughs> and it did, and let's thank God for that, boy. When we have <laughs> yeah. the when we have the positive moments, those, yes. those those are definitely something to be grateful for. And I think you have lots of those ahead of you. And on that note, we are going to take a break. This is Jen Grisanti. I am speaking with Rhett Reese, uh, writer of the movie Zombieland. You're listening to StoryWise with entertainment consultant Jen Grisanti. StoryWise is a podcast designed to give you the story behind the people who tell stories, offering you insight on what it takes to work as a writer in television and film. Hear this and other podcasts on www.jengrisanticonsultancy.com, a full-service writer consultancy committed to guiding your vision. We are back with Rhett Reese, one of the writers of the hit feature film Zombieland. And now I, I would love to shift gears a little bit and speak with you uh, creatively about your process as a writer and your routine. Okay. Take me into that. Well, what I've found, and this is just, I think, a good thing to hear to assuage the fears of some young writers, is that I only have a few hours in me a day. Like, I, I, I run out of creative steam after about three hours, and that's sad to say. The nice thing about that is that it frees up the rest of your day to do other things and just to ruminate about your story as opposed to writing it. But uh, I rarely write more than three or four hours a day, and I think Paul would probably say the same thing. It's mentally exhausting to write. I, I don't find it – maybe some for some people it comes easier than it does for me, but I find it just mentally exhausting. Every word choice is like pulling hair. And I That's never, honest. yeah, and yeah. I and I never enjoy writing. I always enjoy finishing writing, and then I enjoy it. You know, I enjoy looking back over the pages, and and I, of course, I'll, I will enjoy moments where I think of something where, oh, I think that's good, you know, kind of Your thing. I'll moment. enjoy moments, yeah. but but largely, it's so difficult that it's not uh, wildly enjoyable. But I largely tell people that that everybody's different, and just to find whatever tricks uh, you can. I mean, you know your psychology better than anybody. So you should be in a position to trick yourself into, you know, writing at the best time of day and writing at the time of day where you're the most productive and and writing, you know, just just approaching it in a way that that brings out your best. And that's different for every person. Do you know, it, it is an interesting thing. I remember writers saying that to me um, um, when I left the corporate world. They said, if you're going to get into a creative routine, figure out when your brain works the yeah. best and, and just create that. 
And it, it is an interesting thing. I write blogs and newsletters and, and keeping up with the business. And But even like reading of scripts, it is figuring out, okay, well, my brain works best in the morning clarity-wise. So therefore, that's how you have to structure your day every day. Absolutely. So I, I, think that, I think that's a great piece of advice. Looking back to your very first script that you wrote, what yes, was that? Yes, a vampire movie. <laughs> it's actually really similar to Twilight, sadly. I wrote it a long, long time ago. It's about a vampire who was a good guy, yeah, and he was, uh, he was the hero of the piece. And so I feel like I really screwed up by not uh, pushing harder with that. No, I'm kidding. Uh, it was, well, it was maybe not you very can take good. it out now. Yeah, I mean, it was not very good is <laughs> right. the problem. It, was, it, it definitely suffered from first screenplay-itis. Um, but I enjoyed it. Have you it gone back to look at it? I, I, I haven't recently. I have at least a couple times over the years, and it's fun because it just it reminds me how far I've come. And and uh, but there were a couple people at the time who said, you know, this shows promise, and just enough that I felt oh, okay. It's not terrible, you know. I can I can I can improve, you know. So that was my first one. Now, out of the dark, it out was called. of the dark. Yeah. Oh, I like that. I like that title. <laughs> what about spec script bra? Spec script wise, since you mostly created pilots, did you write spec? Script? I did. Yeah. Well, my first six scripts were specs, and Zombieland was a spec also. But but my first six scripts were were specs, and then I gave up on it because I couldn't. I never sold one. I, I got I got jobs off of my sixth. You know that was what got me going and started getting the assignments. But I just thought I was cursed. But I don't think it was it was me being cursed as much as it was I was just still learning to write. You know, mm-hmm. and it wasn't really until the sixth script that I figured a lot of things out or or I was figuring it out along the way. Yeah, I did. Absolutely. Started in features and, and, uh, I was just, I was figuring it out as I went. I think each script got better. Um, and, uh, ultimately actually uh, what I just said is not true. One of my, my my second script actually did sell 12 years after the fact and got made into a, Sequel to Cruel Intentions, Cruel Intentions Three. It was called. It was not intended oh, to be a I sequel when that. I wrote it. Yeah, but yeah. That's so anyway, great. that that that, great. that was rather amusing great. to have that happen after the twelve fact, years later. Twelve years after the facts, and there's a lesson to be learned there too, which yeah. is nothing is ever dead. That's ever. like Mad Men. Mad Men it was that right? eight years yeah. later. You just eight don't know, later. and so. You know, you know, I wish I could go back in time and tell my, you know, my young self that, oh, yeah. don't worry, that script will get produced some one day. Because at the time, I was distraught that it didn't, because I thought it was actually okay. And uh, you just never know. And 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 the lesson is never give up on a piece of material, provided you know you think it's worthy of not giving up on. I think some of them really need to be given up on. But but that said, you know, you you, <laughs> need, you need to pick the ones that are that you think got Healthy screwed by the system. Go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Healthy letting go. On the topic I like that you talked on, if you were today to go back and speak to your young self, what would you do differently or what would you tell yourself about the mistakes that you've made? Well, I I don't really – I don't think there's any magic bullet. I don't think there's anything I could tell my young self that I really couldn't didn't have to learn on the job like mm-hmm. you just have to I really wish I'd had that TV feature conversation with myself you know because I really wish I'd understood that earlier on uh apart from that uh I I I mean there are certain tips about writing itself like with you know specifics of you know w- when you're going through a screenplay that that I would probably but they're real specific you know I I I wouldn't I I don't think I could come up with any one sage piece of advice except that you know, one of the things that I did early on is I had a cane chair that I used to sit on when I wrote. Right. And slowly but surely, I wore a hole in the seat of the cane <laughs> chair to where, you know, if I'd wanted to go to the bathroom without getting up, I could have done it. Like, there was a hole in the bottom of my chair. And I thought I always thought that the yeah. hole in, in the cane chair was a great metaphor for what really you need to do with writing, which is you need to sit your butt down and do it. Like, I and, like and that. And a lot of it. And, and that to the was point a where, symbol that And that you was a symbol, yeah. yeah. And, and so... I think ultimately that's what gets you there is just the perspiration and not setting deadlines, uh, not not forcing yourself to set deadlines. And then the other thing I I, I tell my students because I teach a class at UCLA. Uh, oh, I love that! I, I, I taught didn't it a couple that. times, yeah. But anyway, the, one of the, the things name I of the tell course? it's called the Screenwriter's Bag of Tricks. I haven't taught it in about two years, so I got to get back to it at some point here. But 
But what I tell them is there, there's a character in, in Terminator 2 called the T-1000, which is this, uh, this Terminator that one, it, it, near the end of the movie gets shot into a, gets frozen solid and shot into a million pieces. It's like this liquid metal machine. And the pieces are scattered all over the ground. And then they slowly, uh, as, as they start to heat up, they start to coalesce back together and reform into the creature. And, not the creature, the robot. And, and I just thought, that is what you have to be as a writer. You have to be a T-1000 because the town is brutal. Yeah. And it just kicks the crap out of you and it breaks you into a million pieces so many times. You have to be the machine that constantly reforms and reconstitutes itself like and get that. back out there. Yeah. You have to be a Terminator or else yeah. you will not make it. So maybe I'd say that. Do you know, it is an interesting thing because I do feel not to rain on anybody's parade, but I do think it is an interesting thing because... The writer's life is such an internal life, and and I feel that there is a glamour um, stereotype stigma put especially on TV writers, and and it is a fascinating thing because really I've often thought about it's like from what I've heard of the stories about the writer's room, it, it it's like recreating your family experience <laughs> in the room, the mom and dad that you right. try like heck to make happy. And very often you oh don't. My. And, and the siblings all trying to get their ideas out there and who's going to win for, and it is a really interesting thing to me because it's like we think that it's going to be something different than it is, but I think the reward of all of it is exactly what you said. When you look back at what you created mm -hmm. and you recognize the closer you get to your voice and putting your voice on the page, you're leaving a mark. Absolutely. And I mean, that that's why... <laughs> Uh, as as Bill Murray says in Zombieland, that's why we do it. Um, but the, <laughs> the uh, uh, yeah, I mean, t I'm single and I've never had kids, so I, uh, you know, consequently, the only kids I've ever had are are my pieces of work. And so, yeah, I hope to leave kids behind, you know, at some point. Uh, but but if not, you know, the only thing I can really leave behind is is my screenwriting and. And that's why you do it. You you do it so you can look back and, and say, well, no one can take Joe Schmo away from me and no one can take Zombieland away from me. And they're out in the world and they'll entertain people hopefully into the future. And, and that's a very gratifying feeling. And to me, that's all you really – that's the only goal ultimately you really need is, is just this idea that someday hopefully you'll be able to entertain a fair amount of people and, and, and it will last. I I think that I think that's great and I think it it is a strong parallel when you when it does become like your baby because it is your voice and it is Yeah, it comes you know, from inside you. I mean Yeah. What in your own personal story? Like if you think about all of your projects, mm. at what point in your creative process did you start to recognize your own voice? It was when I uh I, Hollywood dealt me a pretty big blow when I got let go uh, off of Monsters, Inc. I got let go off, off of Monsters, Inc. and earlier than I wanted. And uh, it was not the end of the world by any stretch because certainly that's how most writing jobs end. But but at the time, I went I went back to L.A. I was I, was, I had been up at Pixar, and uh, I got really depressed. And I basically dropped out of Hollywood for a year and wrote a novel. And I think wow. that was when I found my voice because I decided to write a novel about uh, m myself and my anxieties that I'd had through my early 20s and, and mid-20s. And, and I wrote it in first person. So I, I, let, I let myself tell the story. And it was a, it, it's, it's fun. It's never been published. It's very much a beach book. It's certainly no, no great piece of literature. But it's, it kind of moves along. It's kind of fun. And... And that voice ultimately became the voice of Columbus in Zombieland. It's the same character. And it wasn't until I actually wrote in first person and just said, okay, this is me. I'm just going to pretend it's me that, that I really, really got in touch with, uh, with that particular voice. Um, now, I think I can write the voices of different characters. Obviously, if I couldn't, I wouldn't be able to do this, I guess. But, but that particular voice is pretty near and dear, and it meant a lot to find it because I felt like, ooh, now, that, now that's a character I can really be inside the skin of and really understand better than any character ever. And that was just, it filled me with confidence. And how, when you look at your personal life uh, and finding that confidence and certainly 
how has your how has your world changed since Zombieland? How has your personal life changed? How has well, you know, that's interesting. I the the self doubt never goes away. I mean, I think that the biggest problem for writers, or for me as a writer, is it's very hard to tell which of my stuff's good and which isn't. And I've written stuff that's bad, and I've written stuff that's good, and it's very hard to be objective. So every project I go into it with this fear of, oh no, is this going to be one of those times that I write something bad? Like it happens, you know, it happens to every writer. So you you that that self-doubt remains, but I think what Zombieland uh, did for us is it, uh, or has done for us, is it's just open doors. It's it's allowed us, uh, you know, access to people and to uh, companies that, that might not have given us access before. And I think you kind of need, unfortunately, it's a town that very much uh, relies on reputation and having, what have you done? Like, give me, show me your resume. What was that thing? And it's it's a town that forces you to prove yourself to it. Until you until you have, you don't get access to the top people. You just don't. And then it's it's just a sad fact. But Zombieland's given us access to people and and showed people that we can do it on the big stage and that we can write a big hit. And and I you know we'll see where it takes us from here. But for the moment, it's just nice because there there are doors that are open now that weren't before. Um. Now, we've covered uh, the personal process, your routine. With regards to humbling moments mm. in your career, Yeah, t- tell me about some of those. Yeah, I tried to shake George Lucas's hand one time, and I missed his hand. I went all the way up his <laughs> arm, and it was one of the most humbling moments of my life. It was brutal. Uh, you know, there have been others. I think one of the nice things, uh, Hollywood's like golf. You know, you hit a couple great shots, and you think you're awesome, and then all of a sudden you, you, the bad one yep. you know, goes off into the woods, yep. and then you think you're no good, and then you hit a good one again. You know, it's like kind of thing. So uh, you're never that far from, from you know, ramping up out of a out of a trough or a valley. I mean, there was a time uh, my, uh, you know, fifth script, I hadn't sold it. I was really struggling. And uh, I went back to Arizona to be with my family. And my brother asked me to return this video game to the video game store. And so I was doing it. And I passed and I was really down. And I just figured, how am I going to come up with that next idea? I passed an elementary school and I looked at it and I thought, what would it be like to have the worst substitute teacher in history? It just bounced into my head. Oh, I love that. And, and I wrote a script called Big Mama Maxwell about this, uh, this evil uh, the, you know, woman uh, prison convict who escapes prison and goes to, look after, goes to find her long-lost son and in so doing poses as a substitute teacher to, at school to try to figure out which one is her kid. And that was the script that launched me into the family genre. And it was just – it was just I was down that night and depra- – and, and, you're just never far away from that idea that can right. change your life. You know, yeah. You're just never that far away from it. And that's, I think that's a really important thing to learn. And then I think another important thing to learn in terms of humbling moments is that you, the one thing you can never control are ratings or grosses, and those things are totally independent of logic. So my, my point being that you see good movies do well. You see good movies do poorly. Mm-hmm. You see bad movies do poorly. You see bad movies do really well. You You – Never know why America goes to see something or doesn't go to see something or turns on their television to watch it or doesn't. And so you can't take it personally. Like you can do something that's just wonderful and no one might show up. And that is just the way of the world. And you can do something crappy and you can get away with it. Sometimes mm-hmm. people will show up for your crappy thing. And anyway, it's it's you need to divorce ratings and grosses from your mental well-being. And I know that's hard because – Ratings and grosses ultimately define our our future opportunities because if if are the things we do do well, we get the opportunity to do more things, and if they don't, we the, the town shuts us down. So, you do care, but what you have to realize is again that those things exist outside of a realm of logic. I mean, as far as I can tell. Well, it's interesting because you you talked about something interesting on break as far as when. Your project is like your baby, not getting too close. Yes, because if you get too close and then America decides they don't like your baby, then or the reviewers don't, and it can be very, very sad. And yeah. and and, uh, and and I also tell writers this is another important thing is when when you're done with a script, before you distribute it, before you start sending it out to the town, start writing your next script. Get started. Just get That's ten pages point. in. 
Only ten pages in is fine, but just enough so that so that you've got momentum moving forward when you start to get rejection. Because you know it's rare that you send out a script and the very first person says yes. You know, generally you go no, 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 yes. You know, or whatever. But those early no's can be very debilitating if you haven't started your next thing. So I think it's really important to move on to that next project, get into it, get excited about it, and then start distributing the previous. One. I think that's an excellent piece of advice. As far as representation, what what was your journey? With yeah, that? I mean, I, I was uh, uh, I I was having uh, breakfast with um, a guy I just met the night before at a, at a part at an alumni party of my university. Where did you go to school? Stanford. Okay. And uh, a, a manager walked up who was friends with the guy I was sitting with, and and uh, you know we ended up talking. I gave both those guys my scripts. The manager ended up wanting to sign me. This was a, about a year into my career, and and that's how I got my manager. It was it was really lucky just to have a manager just walk up and you know and then you give him I, your script. Like that was very lucky. Yeah. But what I tell people on that is that you know everybody's trying to get to an agent, and I always feel like it's just the. No one in the town is is more than a degree or two of separation away from an agent, and the way you get an agent is is generally by referral, you know. And and so, so what you really need to do is just get your script in the hands of the people who work in this town. Depending, and it doesn't matter who who they are. And what you'll find is if if you really get aggressive and you give it to anyone and everyone who will read it, that it will find its hand, it will find its way into the hands of an agent if it's if it's high enough quality. You know, either by virtue of someone saying, you know what, you know, this script is good enough that I don't I'm not doing a favor to this writer by showing it to the agent. I'm doing a favor to the agent by showing it to the agent, or I'm actually doing a favor to myself by showing it to the agent because they're going to think I'm a good judge of quality. You know, when that happens, you know, that script will find its way to an agent. Or the other way is you give it to someone and they like it and someone else gets excited about it. And then suddenly someone wants to buy it or someone wants to make it. Well, then an agent will be happy to come in and take your 10%. And then it's at that point that I say absolutely let them do that because that agent will not earn that first 10%, but they'll earn, you know, the, the 10% moving forward on a bunch of different things. So as difficult as it can be to get your your material into the hands of the right people – I think it's easier said. I mean, it's it's easier to do than most people uh, realize because, again, everybody in this town knows somebody, you know. And 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 if you're if you're again very very active in getting your script out there, you can get it into the hands of someone who counts pretty quickly. I think you know. On that note, it is. I I definitely agree with you. I I think it is all about navigating. And I think with your story, there are are a hundred other, a million other stories of people that it just happened. Yeah. Yeah. And it's total. It can be total you know, happenstance. And and yet we think it's so hard. But I think the hardest part is having the right script. Yes, and and that is and the having that's the ultimate the right lesson, level is that of writing. You'd best yeah. have something awesome before you go worry mm-hmm. worrying about that agent because yes. it's the something that's awesome that's going to get you the job. And not the agent. and another thing, I mean, you mentioned which is so true is passion sells. Like, it's very interesting for me to have been an executive for over a decade where your passion initially would start based on your own reaction to a script. But then your passion could be diluted when other people don't respond as strongly as right. you do simply because of the fear of the corporate world. Right. And I would say I was definitely known executive-wise as probably being to a fault more on the side of the writer. Mm. Because I if like I that. found projects if I found writing that really hit me, I went to the end of the earth for it. And it is an interesting thing with owning your own business because it, all of my reaction is authentic to this is how we make story better. Not because I have a studio behind me that is going to help you get story, but because I want your story to be the best that it can be. Yeah. So it, you know, on that note, I think the idea of passion and believing and getting your writing to where it needs to be quality wise, and then once you get enough strong reaction, ha- yes. reaction, having confidence in that, yes, and then blanketing the town, really with it. Yeah. blanketing the town. Yeah, I, I agree. I I agree with everything you just said. And a lot of times people put the cart before the horse. Yeah. They get that script done in a hurry, and they think, ah, oh, i got to get it to people. How do I do that? And, yeah. and the script's not there. Yeah. And I've had that happen. Like, I've had it happen at the, when I first started my business. I had a feature writer that I just thought the voice was just, you know, 
I mean, just amazing. And and I put it out there, and it was fascinating because I out, out of the three agencies, and they're all top agencies that I sent it to, one of the three saw it in the way that I saw it. The other two didn't see it at all. And and it's all subjective. You yeah. Oh, very you go, much. You know, who is the person reading it? What is their background? Are they reading it at 10 o'clock at night after they've read 10 other scripts? Or are they reading it first thing in the mm. morning? Oh, when, yeah. You know? And you can hear so many yeah. no's. I mean, you have to. You really have to power through the no's. You know, our, our, our show, The Joe Schmo Show, we pitched it to every single network in town, every single production company. Like, we heard no so many times. And we just... We just kept saying they're idiots. They're idiots. Instead of instead of taking the lesson, oh, maybe they know something we don't. Maybe it's not good. We just convinced ourselves that they were idiots and that it was a, it was a hit show. And we turned out to be right. Not that all those people were idiots, but but that <laughs> you, wherever you people are out there, idiots. No, but just that you all know who you are. You remember us pitching. No, but just just uh, that, that for whatever reason they didn't see it, you know, yeah. or that there was a risk that their network couldn't take or what didn't fit their demographic. Whatever the reason. But that twentieth or thirtieth person, you know, Palin Chow, uh, saw it. She got yeah. it, and 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 by God, we made it, and it and it did great. You know, so y- you have to power through the nose a lot of times, and believe in your vision. I mean, executives, this is good for them to hear as well. It really is having confidence yeah. in your gut reaction. If you think it's great, yeah. and and you get to that place where you've heard from enough people who've read it and helped you out with it, everybody thinks it's great, then by God, stick to it. Keep yeah. after it. Yeah, and I agree. I'm in, it's the last time to give up. Yeah. If you're going to give up, give up on page three, you know, yep. not, not at the end. How I, I like that you mentioned, and I think it's very true, have you had any of those people who couldn't see your work before call you now. Yeah, <laughs> what is that? Absolutely. Like? <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I mean, a lot of people passed on Zombieland. I mean, the whole town passed on Zombieland in the television world. So, yeah, I mean, generally, it's always just they just chuckle. I mean, because their job's really hard. It's not yeah. easy to pick the the, the, yeah. the the hits from the misses, and you know, and it's not as though everything we've done has been a hit either. We've some people have taken chances on us, and but they didn't turn out quite as well, you know, in terms of the the you know the ratings or the grosses. And again, you can't control that, but everybody's job is hard. Their job in choosing things is just as hard as our job in creating them. I mean, in the sense that it's just, it's a little bit of a crapshoot. And, and so I don't blame any of those people. Well, no, be tough and to all of those chair. failures led to the final success. Yeah, and that's true. It, it wouldn't have been what it ended up being. You know, it, it, it is, I, I look at everything in life that way. It's kind of like, okay, this didn't happen, that didn't happen. I remember, um, you know, with when I look at the writer careers um, that that I witnessed and how a writer would be devastated that they wouldn't get one job and then two weeks later they would get this huge job that would just be the path of their career. Isn't that and, awesome? Yeah. It's the, and it's such a great industry for that reason. Yeah. I mean, you just never know. You can walk around that next corner and that greatest opportunity, have that next idea that just, just, just strikes you. And it, you're, you're never that far away from being the hottest thing in this town, you know? And it's like, even when you're at your least, at your coldest and your worst, you're only 120 pages away, as they say, from being the hottest thing, you know, again, you know, and, and so... Tell th- me th- what being the hottest thing is like. We are not the hottest thing, <laughs> <laughs> not by a long shot. It's it's nice to have a little heat. It is. It's just, Good. again, it's nice to have the doors open, but... Uh, you know, it can dissipate fast, and I've I've been around long enough to know that you know again it's a roller coaster, and there will be another trough, and and there will be another hill. You know, so so you just try to even out your emotions and not get too full of yourself when it's going well, and then not to get too despairing when it's going badly. I think it sounds like you are handling this incredible journey that you're you've been embarking on this two years now. Has- uh, well, for Zombieland, yeah. actually four and a half years, believe wow. it or not. The writer's strike happened in the middle of it, and it stalled everything for, wow. you know, it's like, so it, it's, it's been four and a half years from, from when we wrote it, to, first wrote it, to when it came out in theaters. So really enjoy this time. Thank you so much. And be in it, and thank you so much. I really much. appreciate it, and keep helping writers. Oh, you got it. Thank <laughs> you right. so much for sharing your insight. It's very valuable, and I'm, I'm thrilled for you. Thank you so much. All right. We are out with Rhett Reese the writer from Zombieland and go out and see it. And this is Jen Grisanti of Jen Grisanti Consultancy, Inc. Thank you for joining us. You've been listening to StoryWise with Jen Grisanti. If you're looking to get the next step in your career and need a guide who has been there and knows what it takes, go to www.jengrisanticonsultancy.com. 
on the website, you can also find the latest on writing programs, feature film festivals, and other writing competitions. StoryWise is produced by Joel Metzger and Hot House Bruiser Productions. 